0: Um, so we're in the, uh, we're still in the parmies. Uh <laughs> We've barely budged through the first one. Uh, we're, this is the second talk on generosity. Uh, but first I want to get a sense of why we gather. I think sometimes we just need to come back to the basics, the fundamentals of what we're doing here together. And I, I'm, I'm sensing, and I hope you are as well, that there is a, something's afoot in uh, the culture, uh, in the world, really. And there's a, a, a kind of impulse that we have um, that's moving and evolving uh, towards uh, awakening out of the particular conditions that we have been living since time immemorial and that the pressures of environment, on the environment and on the earth and uh, the economic pressures... And all of the different uh, stressors that are occurring now may be a stimulation for further evolution. And so I don't begrudge the fact that we have to go through some rather drastic measures, I think, to get into an awakening consciousness. But I do know that it will mean a great deal of pain for many of us as we go through it. And for that, I have uh, a, a deep, caring... Uh, But I think this this impulse to awaken is what drives us all here. Now, you can frame it in different ways, uh, and each of you probably do in terms of what it is and why it is that you show up. But if you just uh, spend a little time, uh, you begin to see how this thing, it's, it's a taste that once you get in your mouth that you have to satisfy. It's unlike any urge that we've had, perhaps in our entire life, and it's insatiable until there is completion. And so we, we keep coming back together, really hearing the same things again and again. <laughs> it's my job to keep saying the same things to you. Uh, to encourage uh, that spark of aliveness in us. To, to uh, renew uh, where we might have lost it in the course of the week where we might have turned away from it in the course of the day. Uh, Still, when we're all here together and we're aiming in a particular way, uh, this sense of presence, this sense of abiding, quiet stillness, uh, begins uh, uh, to um, move out of ourselves. So that we get a sense of, of us in stillness, in presence. And uh, the awakening consciousness wants more of that because it senses that uh, all the qualities that we most yearn for in our life, the qualities of the heart and the qualities of the paramedes, are somehow held within that presence. And so we gather to learn from each other about how to allow that to arise out of us. Uh, The temptation for us is to make this into kind of a self-project and to try to work our way through some tasks and achievements so that we feel deserving of being awake. Uh, And we may need to do that if our uh, particular psyche is uh, so distorted. But never to forget that this thing is always at hand. And these Parami teachings are really different perspectives of the whole of presence. What, a, what, is, what, a, what is an awakened mind? What, is the, what does presence look like? And they're interesting because you can't be generous, and generosity is the theme of the night, it's impossibly generous without being awake. You have to first be awake to be really generous. I mean, you can go through the actions of generosity. You can go through the habitual offering of when the offertory plate comes you, or when you see somebody who needs something you can, or when the, the appeal comes in the mail you write a check. But that isn't really what generosity is. It's not that habitual response of giving. It's a whole posture to wakefulness in which there's abundance. It's a psychic abundance, a posture of plenty. That's generosity. Not the specific act we might do, but where that act comes from. And we try to do the act rather than embody that posture of wakefulness and the beauty of these paramis i think is that each of us each of them challenge our wakefulness to be complete now generosity for instance in wakefulness we we can feel very awake in ourselves but be a little bit uh, contracted around our possessiveness our money in particular And have some psychological difficulties with certain aspects of retention and selfishness. But feel very awake otherwise. So then we have this subject called generosity. And it uh, is a challenge to whatever degree of wakefulness we have. To look at that which is slightly obscuring that aspect of wakefulness. In which we may never see. Never see on our own if we didn't bring this challenging subject to bear called generosity. We could just kind of stay within a, a trend of unconsciousness. And wakefulness can do that because it only will move out to those areas that need um, our attention when it's invited to do so. In other words, if we each have an area that we are threatened uh, within, which we don't want to see in ourselves because we feel it reveals too much about our character, such as being miserly, Mm -hmm. Uh, then our wakefulness can be partial and it will feel very awake in comparison to where we were, but it won't include this dimension of abundance. And so we invite this subject of generosity and each of the paramis to show us where we may be slightly hiding or obscuring a totality of wakefulness in ourself. We just invite it on. And it's beautiful to see. But the important point is that first we need to be awake to be generous. In other words, when you're about ready to give something to someone, make the contact conscious. Look them in the eye. Feel the presence of interconnectedness. And then respond in generosity once that sense of connection is. The alignment, aligning ourselves up to the qualities of wakefulness, which is just presence, just being aware of the presence of, begins to challenge those areas of our psyche in which we don't want to be awake. And the value of each of these paramis is that it reveals reveals those areas that we don't want to wake up in. Like we I don't want to, I don't want to have to give anything away. It's a hard times. Hard psychological, hard financial. I don't, let's move on to the patience. Patience, like <laughs> That's more fun. Doesn't ask anything of the. Well, you we wait until we get to patience. It? <laughs> that's true. And this sense of... Because when we really look at what generosity, the posture, the wakeful posture of generosity, it's unguarded real generosity is unguarded. It's unlimited. It's without limits. And to incline ourselves towards what that means in its absolute. Just, to, just say, okay, let's just look at how I diminish this absolute quality of generosity and how I hold back. Because as soon as we bring generosity out in its absolute term, then we see our shrinkage in relationship to that subject, don't we? And that's, that's what we want to see. We want to see that. We, but many of us are so uh, identified with the shrinkage, rather than with the generosity, we think, oh God, I'm being revealed here. Yes, we are being revealed. Thank goodness we're being revealed. Being revealed is what Dharma is all about. Making the unconscious conscious. And nothing will do that like a subject that's absolute. And each of these paramis are absolute. Generosity. Good Lord. I'm afloat. I don't know what to do with that word. It's so big. Where do I stop? You see? And we'll get to that later in the talk because generosity doesn't mean depletion, obviously. It doesn't mean giving oneself... um, uh, at the expense of oneself, but any of these paramis, when really taken on, like generosity, is a complete path in itself because it'll show you where you refuse to give yourself away, and that's what it's asking of you: to give yourself away. And there you will, we will see ourselves coming back in the tensions of really what the tensions are is our mistrust where we refuse to where we refuse to consider interconnection as the truth and where we rely upon our contraction for protection and i think wonderful that's just i mean that's exactly what we are to be doing here is see where we limit ourselves it doesn't mean that we create a kind of um, culture of shame when these things arise. We have to be very careful of this and I've heard some very experienced uh, practitioners fall into the trap of shame because none of us are up to... What does... I mean, generosity? Well, that should expose all of us. All of our dirty laundry is hung out when we bring that word up. So... All of us, if that's our tendency, will have some areas that we can be very shameful of. That's not the point, though. The point is to look at it from an impersonal quality. Oh, wow, look at this. Look how... And to see and to explore how it is that we are refusing a broader and more complete wakefulness. And it's not to try to shame our way out of it. It's to explore the contraction. What's going on here in this moment? What's the sense of, what's the need of self protection? Where is my la- lack of faith in this moment? My sense of mistrust. To learn about our limitations through words like generosity is a passage of maturity. Beautiful. I mean, that's what the Buddha, when he said, if you knew what I knew about the power of generosity, you would not let a single meal go by without sharing it. And I don't think he meant only the karmic implications of giving away. Because I think karmically the implications when you give uh, away, what you give comes back to you. and uh, So that you will live a life of, of abundance. But I don't think that's only, that's how most of us have interpreted that quote, but I think he meant was that unless you practice where we're constricted, where we are limited by constantly by constantly sharing, and where is it that you are pulling back from your willingness to share, that you, you won't see the value of what the practice is supposed to be revealing moment after moment. And there's a, a beautiful quality that comes when we feel the freedom from this self-contraction. And all of us have done that in a moment of, of spontaneous generosity. And I I use that word, spontaneous generosity, as opposed to contrived generosity. Because when I was in Burma, for instance, uh, the all the... Um, lay people were very generous to the monks, but if you ever asked why they were, it was because uh, they would get back tenfold what they gave according to their philosophy. So, now, is that generosity or greed? (laughs) See, something's a little off there, isn't it? Where you're plotting how to get more by being generous. So, it doesn't mean that There's anything wrong with planned giving, but when it has a direct connection to the payoff of giving something else from the giving, then we have to have to look at that. Because the the posture of generosity is really a statement of spontaneous giving. It's the willingness to share in the moment. It's a moment to moment generosity. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are giving away something of material value, which is usually how we frame it. It can be giving your attention in a moment in which you're impatient and you're being called on to move in a different direction and somebody comes up to you and asks us for their time, for, for our time. And the willingness to share that connection rather than to move quickly to where we want to go and need to go, is really the epitome of generosity, it seems to me. Or the willingness to validate rather than to negate someone. Just by showing up for them. Just by bringing a a steadiness of connection to the meeting. Instead of as many times the person who you're speaking to is thinking about what they're going to say waiting for you to stop talking so they can then say what they want to say. See, generosity is far more than what we think. The reason we usually go towards material good is because that's where we're most contracted. And that's Uh, we We evaluate life based upon material success. And so when we think of generosity, that's usually our thumbprint. But when you understand the nature of healing, then spending time, giving some of your time, volunteering, and allowing yourself to expose beyond your momentary needs, so that it takes you a little off schedule. It's very important because I'm talking to myself as well, and without any shame, without any remorse, we just see that this field of generosity has just barely been explored by most of us, hasn't it? And that it could use so much more attention. And if you have, if this word really galvanizes your spiritual energy, you can move it all the way to full awakening. Because, as I mentioned, it is asking you to give yourself away. Because that is always what will stand in front between you and further generosity, is your own self needs. I love the image uh, in one of the... uh, in the Suzuki Roshi book, Beginner's Mind, Beginner's Mind of, what the, of Half Dipper Bridge, where the monks in this particular monastery would scoop the water out of the river, drink half, and pour the other half of the water that they hadn't uh, drank back into the stream. And in the book, Suzuki Roshi says... You'll never understand generosity until you understand why you would want to give the other half back to the stream. See, do, do we understand that? How this sense of give and receive, how the whole thing is not—it's not one-sided. It's a flow and an ebb, and a. And a um, and it's like the wings of the bird receiving and giving and offering back. And we can get very um, unbalanced in our giving where we just are on the receiving end and we don't know how to give back. A perfect example is volunteers here at Sims. I mean, there are some people who volunteer and set everything up. All the chairs are here for us, all the Tables are on display. And the rest of us come in and we take our seats. But who did that? I mean, who who arranged the room? And how many times can you come into the room and have it arranged before you ask that question? Who's arranging this? And shouldn't I help out? Isn't this also what it calls upon each of us to fully engage? Which is why I say volunteerism is not a possibility until we understand generosity. But it calls forth, if we're going to be a part of the Sangha, that, that give and take of resupplying and then using, and resupplying and using is such a important component to understand. And you want to give back at some point, because when you've received and received and received, you feel, that, I don't know. It's, it's a feeling of being out of balance, and that wanting to give in return, once more. Generosity also shows us the pain of our contraction. It's a very important aspect of generosity, where we are, where our, where we hold. On, where we're attached, where we are unwilling to let go. And I've had moments of spontaneous generosity where I've offered something to someone and then contracted around what I gave so that I went back and asked for that gift back because I wasn't ready to give it. And so the, the moment may come up and the offering is genuine but then there's often a remorse and contraction back from that, and we have to respect where we're not, as well as where we would like to be. And for, at some point, we might want to ask for that back if it wasn't wasn't offered from a completion of generosity. It, it shows us where our rigid boundaries are, doesn't it? It shows us where. It's where the world is carved into I and thou. And where I refuse to cross those boundaries. You know, the the symbol, one of the symbols that I uh, appreciate so much in Christianity is that one where Christ has his arms open. And he's saying, you know, everyone come. Everyone, this is for all beings. It's really a profound statement of, of abundance. And I think that uh, one of my deepest recollections of my, one of my teachers, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, uh, in the monasteries when I was a monk, was uh, seeing him receive busload after busload, usually of people who have come some distance, like Bangkok, who came down to see this renowned teacher. And he's sitting all alone. And these people, all day long, people would be coming up to him. And I would look down and see, just, oh, I think, oh, thank God I'm not in the front of the monastery. And I would go back to my little cootie, which was way back in the back. And But that's what he would do all day long. And I thought, well, that, that's a real sense of of what this practice, where this practice leads. That there was no... He didn't say, you know, okay, I'll just one... That's it. No, never. I never saw him set boundaries on, on connecting with him. He would just sit out in front of his little hut and there he would be all day long. And he resolved many, many years early that he was never going to leave that monastery. And he never set foot out of it. After that resolution, and he would just be open there for all the people. If people wanted to see him, they had to come to him. He wasn't going to go, and there he would be. It's beautiful to see someone uh, when the where you can't go. You know, it's, it's beautiful to see uh, because very easily where we can't go. Uh, we kind of coalesce, coalesce around that and we don't challenge it because we don't want to go there. But to see someone operate from a place in which it's where your limitations are being expressed uh, is a, truly a benefit. Now, Generosity is simply not possible until we have started receiving ourselves, until we have openly done the work of what the practice and the orientation of the practice is on our own inward experience, receiving all parts of ourself, and generosity is impossible as long as we have carved out certain parts of ourselves is. improper or um, unsatisfactory. And so when we start in the meditation and work inwardly with our ability uh, to see each thing in abundance, not with judgment, we are learning how to place ourselves in, on, the, on a platter of generosity. We are learning the, the mechanism of generosity. Where we are sitting with some areas of ourself that seem uh, very unlikable. And what do we offer to each of those pieces of ourself that seem so uh, contracted and selfish and isolated and self-obsessed and indulgent? We offer it generosity. The generosity of non-judgment. The generosity of just seeing of allowing it to be there without any sense of pressure or uh, discouragement, just seeing this thing, just seeing how the mind works, just seeing this moment in its full regard. That begins to bridge interpersonally the the, um, procedure of sharing outwardly. Because nothing can happen until we have fully embraced ourselves, right? Because as soon as someone comes up, that part of ourselves that we refuse to see will be the limiting factor in our abundance. And until we have seen that factor in ourselves with abundance and allowed it to be there just as it is, it will it won't. It will continue to interfere interpersonally with each and every time it arises, which is most of the time. And suddenly out of this abundance comes a kind of gratitude at spirit, which is why I read the Mary Oliver poem. We begin to feel a kind of gratitude for living, for just being alive, what she calls the astonishment of our life. And that sense of gratitude connects us to our basic right to be here. that sense of gratitude affirms our place on the earth. Grounds us in our body and mind. Takes us away from our sense of limitation. And most importantly, reveals that we are equally deserving. Because I think if there is a condition that many of us carry with us that will ultimately affect our generosity, is not our uh, our excitement about the topic or not about the infusion of energy that we give the topic, but that we don't include ourselves within the topic. We think we should be giving and never consider the effect that giving has upon me. To give in that way is not to consider oneself as equal. In fact, when you be when when we have a feeling of ourselves as being less deserving, we won't consider ourselves, and that neurotic pain of being less than. The people I'm serving for will eventually lead to burnout for us. It can't help but lead to that, or anger. You can feel in our in the hearts of people who give in that way a kind of anger, because no matter how they give, it's not enough. And how come you're not giving like I'm giving? That's not enough. And they see from the scarcity of life, not from the abundance of life. They see what hasn't been given yet. Not the true meaning of abundance that is at the heart of generosity. When you're giving, when we're giving from generosity, we're not giving from pity. It's, it has nothing to do with orientation of lesser than. It's just the flow of, of life moving from one source to another. Here, you need this, take this. There's no component of evaluation in that gift that was just given. It's obvious you need this, take this. And so, coming to terms with how we give ourselves away at our expense is essential. Especially if you're in the helping profession. Because often we get into the helping profession because of that sense of self-need. Of feeling so disadvantaged in ourselves that we're going to recover that disadvantage by pouring out to others. We're going to compensate for that disadvantage by giving to others. And we have to go back and look at where it is and how it is that motivates our generosity. What is it that we're giving from? And so the sense of equality or the sense of disadvantage, the sense of being able to look at how we are weighing in around the fact of giving and to whom we are giving, how we're evaluating that process reveals an awful lot about where we are giving in our hearts or our minds or from our pain. So where do we start with this thing? I love, I, I love to do it this way. Okay. Now, suppose I didn't know anything about generosity. Where would I start with this? You see? I might start with a sense of appreciation of what I already have. I might start with the gratitude of the way I live. And the acknowledgement that others don't live with the same abundance. An acknowledgement that other people are in pain, perhaps in ways that I am not. When I uh, came back from India, from Asia, really, after uh, several years of being away, both as a monk and a layperson, I decided that the, the depth of the poverty that I had seen, I didn't want to forget. I didn't want to. I, here we were, I was back in the West. I didn't see anything close to the poverty that I had seen in Asia. And I didn't want to forget the depth to which the human body uh, incarnation could go. I, I wanted to remember the depth of that poverty. So what I decided to do was to fast once a week. And that fast was not be about some self-contrition or some self-flagellation it would be to remember to feel in myself what it was like to be hungry so I could appreciate how full I usually am and to connect in that hunger with people all over the world who were hungry and to, to orient ourselves both from appreciation of what we have and the pain of what is out there that hasn't doesn't have what we have, So there is both gratitude and compassion at the same time. We're gracious that we live with so much. And at the same time, there is compassionate response to the pain of somebody else's suffering. And those two seem to work co- complementary in terms of a perfect generosity of spirit. We have to see that someone's in need of what we have plenty of and to feel the relationship of that person who's in need and at the same time just see that we, are, we have abundance. And even though we may not have abundance in some areas, we have abundance in others. We have abundance, as I mentioned, in attention. And much of us Many of us have much more abundance in the will in time than we acknowledge as well. If we didn't busy ourselves with things that didn't need to be done, we would have even more time. And so working with the sense of gratitude and the sense of compassion together is a beautiful meeting of this sense of generosity. To first be aware of the pain, feel one's abundance and that sense of connection to what and who it is that doesn't have as much, and then to act. And the most important component of anything I've said is this expression of action. The action moves it from a theoretical thought, a philosophical I should, to an actual engagement. We have to be careful how and what is motivating that action, as I mentioned earlier. But the action itself sets the, sets the chemistry, sets the cells of the body in alignment with this sense of interconnectedness. And it's action that feeds. It's action that feeds. And action exposes, because when you're in action... You also have the contracting component. It's very, generosity is very seldom universal. There's often a resenting component. I didn't want to give that, or should I give it away, or the questioning of it, or that sense of of self arises that, so right in the middle of all this abundance and this compassion is this contracted little thing that says, God, you're going to miss this when it's gone, and are you sure you want to give this away, and all of that, in the middle of that. Even if it's a dollar. As if your dollar was important to It's amazing to me. When I, I, I grew up uh, with parents who were very much from the Depression era. And so money was just like, you know, it meant more than money. If you understand what I... And, and so when I get a, a restaurant, uh, after the bill... It's like, okay, 15%. Now it's just 15% before the tax or 15% after the tax. And now it's not 15 but it may be 20%. Now, wait a minute. It used to be 15%. And this whole thing goes on and we're talking about the difference of a dollar and a dollar and a half. And that, But that's how, that's how uh, superficial the mind can go. and it, Because it's not about the money. It's about the contraction. It's about... The sense of, if I give this away, somehow I'll be depleted. Somehow I won't have enough. It's, a, it's the poor me spirit. And so, much appreciation to my wife who gets me to open up my, my purse a little more. <laughs> You know, you start and you go, OK, oh, well, wow, OK, well. Wow. And you see the residue. You see it. You see it in your mind. You see where you're you're uh, how I'm feeling about giving and how I resist it. And you just and you see the whole history of it because you can because it's just dominoes falling in that moment. And then you wake up. This is speaking personally. I wake up and I'm thinking, God, this poor. I wake up. To the poor woman or man who is serving me food, who's living on God knows little amount. And I, I'm just, you know, so I'm feeling how important what I have is to me and how important it could be to somebody else. It's just like, wait a second, this doesn't compute in terms of my struggle here. Just relax here and show up for this moment. And so the history of the moment comes through the moment, but it doesn't continue to define the action. And most of us have to go through the history of however we have related to money in order for it to open up to something beyond the history of our lessons about money. And so we're always always being taxed in that way, aren't we? We really learn the lessons of much of our generosity from our parents. Never forget the gift of validation and wholeness. That we have the capacity to affirm someone else's wholeness by how we attend to them. If we realize the power of that gift and we realize the diminishing quality of our judgment we sharpen our attention and know how it is that we intercede with our own judgment we would be on top of it. Because it's even though it's not felt perhaps in terms of words, energetically, if you have been around someone who honors you completely and however you're, whatever you're saying and how someone else is just slightly pulling back almost energetically, perhaps not even noticeably to the eye, you would know immediately the difference between wholeness and fractures fractured. And to be able to offer someone the true statement of their being which can only come from our true statement of the being, or of our being and not from this constant commentary of less than and you need to do this. If you're going to really get it together you need to do this. Not that you're perfect and total and whole now but that you need to do this. In order to be. What a message we give people. What inauthenticity. And we realize when we do offer that, we offer our joy. We offer our joy. From joy, we offer joy. There's a beautiful... um, story I was reading about, a true story about uh, a policeman who was driving on the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco when somebody was trying to commit suicide. And he got out of his car and he risked his life. He was a father, had uh, small children at home and a uh, f- family. And he almost, in saving the man from jumping, went over with the man and died. In fact, it was very, very close. And after... But he was able to save the man from dying. He climbed back out on the bridge and people gathered around and he was being uh, interviewed by uh, someone and was asked, why would you ever risk something so obvious? Why would you ever risk your life to that degree? And he said... I could not have lived another day of my life if I had let him die. Now, you see, in that moment when that action was taken, the, the sense of self preservation wasn't calculated in. There was just a response of the heart in wholeness, in totality, in generosity. So that that person's life was as valuable as his own. It wasn't calculated. It wasn't assessed as to why I'm doing this prior to doing it. The commentary didn't follow the action. There was just the reaching. Therein lies the possibility. Not as an ideal, but as a mirror back to show where we're still protecting or thinking about or calculating or trying to figure out how much we can give rather than the sheer spontaneous spontaneity of the gift itself. And that spontaneity can only come from the awakened heart. From life meeting itself, from awareness. Not from habitual signing of a check, but the sense of showing up for the connection in presence and then working to establish a wholeness of presence unfractured presence by looking at what the mind is doing to confiscate that in selfishness. Thank you all. Can we sit for a minute or two? Okay. You know these, these are take this on as not this should be fun i mean it it is fun if you approach it in the right way, if you approach generosity from well I, I mean i mean it's just a it's a wonderful attribute, and there is the offsetting uh selfishness that we all have, so we don't look at it as a kind of how much of this have I gotten, how much of that is as a kind of a balancing of you know of a so I need more of that. It's just an exploration of how we, how free we allow our hearts to be, or how contracted we wish to live. But you don't know where your contraction until you feel the rub, right? Until you feel the, until you feel the rub. And generosity will rub, and then you go, oh, I know where I'm rubbing. I know my outline. I know my limitations. I know where I'm not going to go. I know what. Otherwise, we just go through the day not even knowing that. So the rub is important. You see? You can't work unless you have a rub, really. Which is why, in Buddhism, we send you to your pain. Because that's where we're rubbing. And it's not about having this beautiful experience that doesn't ever have any difficulty. It's about going to the difficulty to see where we're rubbing. Okay, questions or comments about anything? Yes. Um, can you clarify, you, you said something about a, a sense of, of, of quality, or I think it was inequality when you're giving and how that affects, you, know, you, were, you were talking about health care. Right. Say, can you elaborate on that? Right. Uh, I was talking about uh, unbalanced giving uh, and uh, inequality when... Uh, we are not considering ourselves equally uh, within what we're doing generously. Hmm? So let's say we're doing service work for the poor or for some needy population. It takes a toll on us, doesn't it? In terms of just psychic tension and just the heaviness of the job. I mean, when I was in hospice care, it took a toll. You could feel carrying that weight of grief and uh despair it affects you. And if I were in the wrong if I were in the wrong orientation to hospice care I would just I wouldn't even know that was happening. I would just go to the next house because that's what my job was. But to have self-awareness and to see where we're being limited by our job and where our we're where, where we're being incapacitated by our work and then to be generous, to ourselves by time off or just the exploration of the issues, time necessary for the exploration of the issues so that I can be renewed back in this thing and to look at the pain of what my expectations are. Am I trying to idealize the job I'm doing, romanticize it like I can do anything if I'm just given enough time or do I have this... Do I have a clear and realistic expectation of myself and limitation of myself in the job? All of those things need to be completely understood as well as psychologically what's driving me towards that job in the first place, which is often some need to overcompensate for my own sense of neediness. So I I need to take all that into consideration by... Being generous with my attention to myself in self awareness. So then I can get a sense of why I'm acting the way I'm acting. That it's not unconscious action, but conscious. I see. I see the issues that are driving me. I see what I'm, my needs are, what I want out of this, and all of that. That's part of the generosity of your time with yourself. That's essential if you're to spend equal time with someone else. And to say, oh, I've reached a boundary here. I've reached the max. I can't keep doing this. And to back off legitimately when we're tired or fatigued and to know our limits or to set limits and say, no, I can't do that. To be able to say the no of love as easily as we say the yes of love. To say, okay, would you do this for me? No, I don't. I can't do that. I don't have time. I need the time for myself. I can't do that please um, ask someone else. To be able to say that. But see, spiritually, we we have this ideal, most of us, that we should never have to say no. We never have to set our own limits. That what spirituality is is kind of unlimited access. Well, nonsense. That's not being generous. That's being full-hearted. To take away... What, what you do find is that where it is that you cut your boundary begins to move over time through practice, through your self awareness. And that you can handle more, not because you want to handle more, but because your limit has been pushed back, where you know yourself well enough so that those needy parts of you are not the um, consuming parts of your activity. You see? Yes, yes, sir. In relation to the homework, it's easier for me to imagine this face-to-face with someone than it is... Um, The question is in terms of giving, uh, writing checks or doing it interpersonally. I would go to where your heart's drawn. I mean, both are important. When I write a check... It's not, to, it's not um, an abstract to me. You know, I actually feel the pain of what the job that they're doing, and I want to give to that organization because I feel the pain of that. Every day I see you know, people who are sick, poor, dying, whatever. So I don't checks to me are not written in abstraction. But it's also really nice to uh, see the person directly like with some, uh, somebody selling real chains. You give the dollar, and you have a moment of actual contact. And maybe they have their little badge on where you can actually say something to them using their own name. Uh, or you can you, like, carry on a, a, a minute conversation instead of like, I've got to get out of here, you know. it's you, Association with you has to do with me giving you a dollar and now I'm... You know, but anyway, I mean, again, not to idealize this, just to play with our threshold, our boundaries a little bit and, and extend them out a little more. That's all. Not, not to get rigid and idealistic. And we're always the mind will idealize everything. And it will always set you up in a disadvantaged way to that ideal where you're not good enough, you're not generous enough, you don't spend enough time. And what about them? You didn't even notice them. You didn't even look them in the eye. It will always see from that perspective. So, you don't listen to it anymore. You just do the best you can. You do what's appropriate for yourself. Yes? Could you, could you speak to the concept of fairness? I, I've started to think that rather than a virtue, is a point of contraction for me. Fairness is a point of contraction because it's not, it's, it's mind made. Right? And But often it, it's so righteous in us. You know, this isn't fair. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't has nothing to do with reality. It is. See, it's not about... you. Equi- equi- reality is unequivocal. It's what it is. So the mind comes back and says, well, it's not fair. What it is isn't fair. And I'm going to compensate for that. And so then we get angry because we're... People are in um, cahoots keeping these people unfair or whatever it is or society or something. And then then there's a whole fracturization, right? A whole separation, a whole division that has to do with our fairness issues, which was entirely our own issue, really. See, that's a very different, that's a very different, sensing, feeling pain is not a fairness issue. You feel the pain. Compassion comes from exposing oneself to pain. And the compassionate heart doesn't divide. It works to remedy the pain, if it can so do, but not to overextend itself so that it's in pain right along with that. You see, so it's it's a balancing act that is not based upon a fight with reality. So it's an, if, if anything we've said tonight is more important to you than what's written on the homework sheet, do what you have an inclination for rather than what the homework is.